It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. On your Friday episode of Locked on Raptors, we take a look at the last member of the established core of the Toronto Raptors here in our player review series with a look at Gary Trent Jr., who is a delight to watch, an absolute gunner with no conscience, but maybe had some missteps on the defensive end that leave in question his role in the team going forward. I have an idea for what that is. I will detail that on today's show. We'll also get into the play of the year, stat of the year, outlook for 2022-23, and everything else in between on Gary Trent Jr. coming up in just one second. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1178 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, May the 13th. Ooh, Friday the 13th. Spooky. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. And you can support the podcast by subscribing, following, rating, reviewing on your favorite podcast apps for the low, low price of On the House. You can also go to YouTube and subscribe over there as well. It's very much appreciated. You get to look at my face every day. And we're now less than 50 subs away from 2,000. And I like round numbers. 
And if you like me, then you will support me and help me in my pursuit of round numbers by going and subscribing to the YouTube page. It's very much appreciated in advance. If you have already done it, you're wonderful. You're in my good books for the rest of time. If you have not yet done it, uh, watch out. You're you're in trouble. Go ahead and do it, and then you will be in my good books. But I don't want to have you in the doghouse for the rest of time. Uh, either way, subscribe to the YouTube cha- YouTube page. It's much appreciated. And with that, let's dive on into your first listen of the day where we're talking Gary Trent Jr., just me today, digging into the good, the bad, what comes next from Gary Trent Jr., who I think overshot expectations, much like a lot of players on the Raptors this season, but I think of all the guys kind of in the established core, he leaves the most questions about his fit on the team going into the future. I tend to think there's a pretty easy spot for him to slide in. We'll get to that in the back part of the show. But, there, you know, he, he leaves a little bit wanting because he's, look, he's not 6'9". He's not a terribly great defender. Uh, you know, he's got moments for sure. We'll talk about that. But he is a bit of an awkward fit in a team that really seems to be prizing one type of player. But, hey diversity within your team and, and skills is a nice thing to have. And so, you know, there's certainly a role, I think, for Gary Trent Jr. in this Raptors team. It might just not be as a clear starter going forward, which again, we'll get to in the back part of the show. We got my biggest takeaway on, on his season. We've got the stuff that needs some work going into next season as well. Stat of the year, play of the year, et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to first kind of begin before I even get to my big takeaway on Gary Trent Jr. from this season. I, I just... I love Gary Trent Jr. I want it to be known. I want it to be out there that this guy is the exact kind of basketball player that I love. He makes the regular season, which everybody undervalues. Nobody thinks the regular season matters. Everyone says, oh, it's all about the 16 game players in the playoffs and all that. And Gary Trent Jr. was no slouch in the postseason. We'll get to that as well. But, um, you know, he makes watching six months of a basketball team every other night extremely enjoyable because you can pop off and completely save a game out of nowhere. Yeah, sometimes he's going to shoot you out of games, but that's kind of part of the ride and the enjoyment of a gunner. And as a Terrence Ross acolyte, as someone who is a big fan, most of the time, Gunners kind of walk in, Lou Williams uh, notwithstanding, because that season was a nightmare. Uh, But for the most part, I love a Gunner. I love a guy who has no conscience, who just thinks he's the best player on the floor at all times. And I really think that's kind of what Gary Trent Jr. is thinking most of the time he's on the floor. And look, is it warranted all the time not necessarily but he would not be gary trent jr if he did not think gary trent jr was the best basketball player alive most of the time so just wanted to get that out there there will probably be some critique and criticism of his game ultimately i am a person who appreciates those who bring joy to the 82 game schedule because again it's a six month month investment of my time it's pretty cool to have guys that are fun to root for obviously the vibes he brings and just sort of the general off-court um you know outfits and all that stuff it's all a good time he's a very like vibe centric player and that to me is something to be celebrated even if maybe there are some you know little weaknesses in his game here and there that might prevent him from being some kind of you know superstar one day not everybody's got to be a superstar man leave room for the gunner in your heart is what i have to say about that uh with that let's get into my biggest positive takeaway from gary trent jr's season and I kind of referenced this number all season long, and it kind of fell off a little bit near the end where it wasn't quite so obvious that he was the clearest driver of offensive success for the Raptors, but he was one of the two or three guys who most drove offensive success. And the thing about Gary Trent Jr. is that when he was driving success for the Raptors, he was doing it both 
when the Raptors were at their best offensively, when the ball was pinging around, when they were getting out on the run and getting quick fire offense, when they were really sort of leveraging the the gravity of Pascal Siakam, you know, that led to a lot of great Gary Trent Jr. offense. And then he was also there in the moments where the offense was shit and they needed someone to step in and just kind of save the day. And that was, I think, a really big part of Gary Trent Jr.'s success this season as well. When it was really bogged down, you kind of knew he was the guy I could swing to with six on the clock and he could go and make a play out of it and not, you know, have the possession be a total loss. Even if he was missing, it was an offensive rebound opportunity for a team that really, really loved to hunt offensive rebounds. And so I really think Gary Trent Jr.'s contributions to the offense this season just so notable and they don't really I think maintain sort of league average status you know they were top 10 for a good chunk of the season as well or kind of on the fringes I don't think they maintain that status offensively without Gary Trent Jr. Obviously he's a really good shooter and that was a big thing the Raptors don't have a ton of shooting so anyone who can be a near 40 percent shooter is going to be of value he was an incredible knockdown guy on catch and shoots of course and the pull-up game you know again sometimes a little bit maddening sometimes a little bit of that no 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 yes syndrome but for the most part like it was a really nice little element that nobody else on the Raptors really provided outside of Fred Van Vliet and of course his pull-up game as the season went along kind of fell into the tubes because his body fell into the tubes. And so, yeah, Gary Trent Jr., those rough moments where things really got down, I kind of felt really good. You know, the comparison I drew all season long was to Serge Ibaka back when he was kind of really getting his feet wet with the Raptors. I think that first season, frankly, after the trade. uh, But we saw this, you know, into the championship season and stuff like that too. But the Serge Ibaka and his ability to just kind of be the guy who can say, fine, I'll take the damn shot and just finish a possession off. Very valuable thing to have on a team where there's a lot of selflessness within the Raptors. A lot of guys who maybe aren't going to you know look to shoot first or can't shoot first because they're seeing so much defensive attention. And it's really nice to have a guy who's just like, all right, fine, I'll do it. God, and it's fantastic to watch. When he goes off, he can completely win a game for you, right? And, you know, I think probably a thing they have to work on is making it so they're less dependent on Gary Trent Jr. explosions to win games. Um, You know, in the postseason, it felt like unless he was going off, they weren't really going to have much of a chance to win. And that's not something you want to depend on for sure. But I do think just like the overall impact that he had on the floor, really, really notable and really just kind of made things work uh, when he was out there. You know, when... Just to pull a couple stats from his uh, his uh, cleaning the glass page and man, cleaning clean the glass, great great site. Uh, go support it if you uh, want to do that. When he was on the floor, the Raptors saw a huge uptick in their transition frequency. Uh, transition frequency. My God, I'm having a hard time speaking today because it's Friday. Either way. He really saw when he was on the floor, the Raptors just kind of got into their mode of running all the time. Uh, He had an 87th percentile impact on transition frequency in the NBA, meaning he was in the top 15% of guys who, when on the floor, drove their team to more transition opportunities. Big part of that, obviously, is his steals and the sort of defensive improvements we saw from him and kind of getting out on the run based off of those steals. We'll get into the defensive shortcomings in the next segment, but you can't deny that his knack for hunting for steals and jumping passing lanes and just kind of getting a little bit over-aggressive in the interest of getting the Raptors' transition machine rolling was really important to that. He had a 63% 
percent effective field goal percentage as well when he was uh, in, in transition for the Raptors. So he was just like burying early clock threes on the run, getting down and, and finishing on his on his own. And those sort of molasses drives that we kind of talked about didn't always go super well, but he was very effective in transition. And that obviously is a big part of when the Raptors are humming along and doing their best things. That's the type of stuff that's sort of feeding into that. Um, he also was really great when it came to turnover rate. Like, doesn't have the ball a ton in terms of playmaking, but he had the ball a lot in terms of finishing plays. He had a 22% usage on the season. No one of the Raptors had like a crazy, you know, inflated Russell Westbrook-like usage. So 22 kind of right in the in the middle there. Um, but like, that's not nothing. That's, you know, more than one-fifth of possessions finishing off with a Gary Trent Jr. Uh, pass or turnover. And they didn't turn it over very much. He had like a 2.3% turnover rate, which was uh, very, very good. And he... Uh, you know, coupled that with a very high steal percentage as well. So, you know, he, you know, wasn't turning the ball over. He was forcing steals. Like, he was just a big part of the Raptors' math gaming situation, right? And the fact that, you know, he only turn had averaged a turnover a game with the amount of offensive responsibility he had, yeah, he's not whipping skip passes all over the place, so there's not a ton of opportunity for him to get it stolen, but he wasn't wasting possessions and kicking the ball out of bounds when he had the ball coming to him. He was making something out of it, which is great to see. And so, yeah, big fan of Gary Trent Jr. He added some elements to his game this season as well. He added that mid-range game, I think, as a really nice counter to the three-point shooting that's obviously just a huge part of his game. You know, when teams run him off the line, he has a counter to that now. And he even started to sort of work himself into floater range, maybe become a bit of a pocket passer. There were a few flashes here and there. We'll get into why there need to be more of that going forward, but... You know, he, he did add some counters. He did find ways to sort of overcompensate for the fact that he's not like a crazy athlete or anything like that, but he found spots where he could hit shots that are efficient. He was 48% from 10 to 16 feet this season um, from that sort of short mid-range area. Like, that is really, really good. Better than Pascal Siakam was, and that was like Pascal Siakam's bread and butter this season. That's what we're talking about here with Gary Trent Jr. in his mid-range game. You know, the long mid-range still 38%, not bad at all. Maybe you'd like to see the distribution kind of changed up a little bit. He shot more from the long mid-range than the short. If you could switch that around, it'd be fantastic. It's obviously harder to get into that 10 to 16 foot range because defenses are worried about it, but that would be a nice little sort of subtle change to his distribution. But he found ways to help the Raptors offense. The Raptors offense was always better with him on the floor. And if you sort of think of some of the times this season where the Raptors offense really fell off a cliff, it not so surprisingly coincided with games where Gary Trent Jr. was out or missing or sick or whatever. And, you know, the playoffs, I think, were kind of the greatest example of that. The first couple games of the series against the Sixers, just nothing from Gary Trent Jr. And the Raptors scored well in those situations. I'm guessing they would have scored much better if they had a healthy Gary Trent Jr. on the floor who didn't walk around like he was carrying some sort of medieval virus with him. And so, yeah, very effective player. Where he fits in long term, I think, is a bit more of a question because, you know, with his sort of style of play, it is a bit of a difficult fit and match with a very, you know, egalitarian offense where lots of guys are getting looks. There's lots of mouths to feed. You're happy with where it goes in any situation. And, you know, again, that was a great thing with Gary Trent Jr. Some awesome crunch time buckets from him this season just because he was the guy that things were funneling towards. And that's awesome. But over the course of a game, I do wonder if maybe there's a bit of a different way to get more Gary Trent Jr. while he's detracting less from the guys around him because maybe he's playing with lesser players who you are not as interested in having shots funnel their way in the same way that you would be with Gary Trent Jr. when he's, you know, uh, <laughs> like 
it's just, it's just tricky for the balance to work when he's in that starting five that we've kind of talked about, right? And there's just a lot of mouths to feed. Um, so maybe playing with lesser players gets him more looks, and you're fine with that. Whereas I, I don't think you want to see Gary Trent Jr. with 26% usage playing alongside the Raptors' best players all the time, which, you know, we didn't see. So there's no worries about that happening because it hasn't happened. But just as a, an example, that's kind of the, the, the tricky thing with Gary Trent Jr. Maybe you want to see him have a higher usage. We'll get to that in just a second here. Um, but that's it kind of for, sort of for the like the big positive takeaway on Trent. Uh, again, he just really was a, a master at helping the Raptors play offense more good. And that is a very valuable thing to have on your team, especially when you struggle with your offensive efficiency. We'll get into the other side, into some stuff that he can work on for next season, dig into his defense and where there were kind of some shortcomings that we saw exposed in the postseason. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars money can buy and you gotta go and try their birthday cake puffs that's it the the puffs i've told you about them before they're like a marshmallow chocolate confection they are delicious imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing that it was only 150 calories with 16 grams of protein that's what it's like to eat a birthday cake puff from built just received our first shipment uh of birthday birthday cake puffs yesterday and i it's fantastic i've never had anything like it it's a really really nice confection it makes you feel like you're being extremely indulgent like how can something this tasty and sweet and yummy be good for you but it actually is because it's giving you that protein to power you through your day and it's not loaded with sugar just nine grams of sugar which is you know way below what you're going to get with your typical candy bar or whatever it might be you go have a viva puff let me tell you marshmallow in that bad boy that's not nine grams of sugar that's like a pound of sugar in a one little viva puff cookie like that that's not what you want you want to go with the Built Puffs, baby. All Built Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that with Built, you can eat healthy while actually enjoying it. And they are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Go to Built.com. Get Built uh, Birthday Cake Puffs right now. Go to Built and uh, yeah, Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Get yourself some puffs. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, digging into Gary Trent Jr.'s season here in our player review series of episodes. Just a heads up, next week we'll probably start making these a little bit shorter in terms of we'll do like three players per episode for the remaining guys on the team. We've still got lots of guys to get to. Thad Young, Delano Banton, Malachi Flynn, etc., etc., etc. That'll be next week, and we'll do it sort of in more a rapid-fire situation because as much as I love Delano Banton, I don't know if I have 30 minutes of content on him, so we'll get to that next week. But we continue on here with Gary Tread Jr. and dig into the stuff that needs some work for next season. And look, I think the first thing is the defense, it's got its holes, man. Like it's I think there was this sort of inflated reputation that Trent achieve for himself and credit to him for that early in the season because he was right near the top of the league in steals and he finished the league right near the top of the league in steals finished the year right near the top of the league in steals um you know that was great but he really really i i think 
had some holes on that end of the floor that it's really hard to overcome when you are in the playoff pressure cooker and you know teams are picking at your sore spots and Gary Trent Jr. is revealing himself to be an on-ball sore spot time and time again. I mean, James Harden looked like a nightmare for most of these playoffs. He looked terrible, like really, really bad, couldn't get by anybody, looked like a nightmare, looked old, cooked. The Sixers fans are melting down because of James Harden today. Gary Trent Jr. couldn't stay in front of him. Like, it's just, the the best game James Harden played in the postseason was with Gary Trent Jr. guarding him in game six. And the amount of times that James Harden was able to get the step and really force the help to come, and which was, you know, again, the whole thing with that Sixers series was anytime the Raptors could allocate their resources to sending just one guy at James Harden and then worrying about the shooters around him, with all of their other long defenders, that was the good recipe for the Raptors' defense in that series. Anytime they had to start sending extra help to James Harden, say what you will about James Harden, but he's a great passer and he was really making the Raptors pay. And they got away with it in some certain spots because James Harden looked cooked, as we've talked about. You know, there were games earlier in the series where Trent actually did a pretty good job staying in front of him. Even when he was, like, horribly sick, there were some moments where he stayed in front of him pretty well. But in Game 6, it kind of was revealed, like, oh, yeah, he's just, you know, the the way that we talk about him as this kind of slow, burst-lacking, sort of plotting type of player on offense, which he's made work for himself, but it's true. Like, he's not exactly an explosive guy. Sometimes I'm worried he's going to, like, not be able to dunk when he goes up for a dunk. Like, he's not just jumping out of the gym with athleticism. That applies to the defensive end as well. And he just did not have the lateral quicks to stay in front of a guy in James Harden who has no quicks left himself. And that should be a bit of a source of concern, I would say. And it's less of a concern if the team has a ton of other shooting, right? And you can sort of fill in, oh, well, Gary Trent Jr. doesn't have it tonight in this defensive matchup. We can't hide him anywhere. Fine. We just put him on the bench and then we bring someone else in. It's fine if that someone else coming in can shoot. But in this instance, it was, you know, Chris Boucher and Thad Young forced to come in in that game six, and those guys could not hit their threes. And it just really saw the Raptors offense. Going back to what we said in the first segment, every time the Raptors offense was humming along, Gary Trent Jr. was probably out there spacing or finishing plays or bailing them out late in clock or starting transition, whatever it might have been. And he just didn't have the ability to do that in game six because he had to be taken off because his defense was too rough. And so... That's got to be a thing. I don't know how you work on defense. I'm not a coach. I don't know how defense really works uh, in terms of schooling guys up and what's you know innate and sort of just God-given talent and what is something that you can learn. Can you get better at your angles and things like that? I'm sure you can. I'm sure there's some instruction that can go into it. But based on his physical profile, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to be an all-world on-ball defender. And so I actually kind of think for next season – ratchet up the craziness when it comes to his you know steel hunting honestly like i i think that's something i'd be totally fine with because that's the way he can impact the game if he's an off ball guy he can jump passing lanes things like that on ball you know get in there try to go for pokes and steals because he proved this season that he can get steals without fouling again he was in the 91st percentile in steal percentage this season he was in the 89th percentile in foul rates so he wasn't fouling at all despite racking up the steals not an easy combination to have and so for me if i'm gary Trent jr just lean into being the guy who sometimes gambles for steals and yes that's going to burn the raptors sometimes but 
because of the way the Raptors play defense, they stand a better chance of than most teams of recovering back after a guy has kind of jumped out of position. Yes, at times it can kind of leave the whole thing kind of tumbling like a stack of dominoes, but for the most part, the Raptors are long enough and rangy enough that they can fill in for those mistakes. And if they're planning for it and they know, all right, Gary Trent Jr. is on ball hawk watch, he is on steel watch, and we have to kind of be aware of that, I think that's something you can cover for. And again, you don't want to rely on that, and I think that sort of speaks to where I think Gary Trent Jr.'s role should be on this team going forward. You don't want everything that you're sort of built on to be dependent on Gary Trent Jr. because he's naturally a pretty volatile guy. But defensively, I just don't know if he's ever going to have the on-ball chops to really make it work. And so try to make him as much of a steal generator as you possibly can and then figure out how to make up for it on the other end because he's shown an acumen for getting steals without fouling. Not so much getting steals without being totally wildly out of position. That's something to work on too, I suppose, as well. But that, to me, if I'm sort of looking at how you maximize Gary Trent Jr. as a defensive player, it's as an engine for the offense, right? Everything he does is tied to offense. That's kind of the Gary Trent Jr. Uh, <laughs> curse and uh, gift, I guess. Yeah, um, he's, he's overzealous, and I think that overzealousness can be an asset if it's really channeled into the right things. Um, when it comes to the offensive side of things, obviously he's not a perfect player there either, right? And I think the playmaking is kind of where it comes in. Um, you know, there were some flashes this season. There were some moments, you know, the odd pocket pass where he would kind of get a guy on his hip when he was trying to, you know, get to his mid-range. The, the defender would kind of be shading and, and sort of kind of be draped all over him. Wouldn't be able to get that mid-ranger off. And there were a couple opportunities here and there. I remember there was one beautiful uh, bounce pass. I want to say to Ken Birch. can't remember what game it was in, but I just vividly remember Gary Trent Jr. hitting Ken with a beautiful pocket pass for, for a little layup or a dunk. And like those little moments give you some hope that maybe there's something there. Again, the ball security is nice from him as well. Just the one turnover a game, the very low turnover rate. That's a nice thing to start with. You got to keep that, of course, if you're going to amp up your playmaking. And, you know, there were, again, some moments, you know, he would have four or five assists in like odd games here and there. And again, that has to be something that's carried over the entirety of the season for it to really matter. But I do think there's something there to be mined uh, because, you know, he, he has a lot of attention on him now. And, and I think... In the role I would like to see him next season, which we're going to get to, I keep teasing to it, uh, I've talked about it all week, you probably know what the hell I'm talking about, but in the role I'd like to see him play, I, I think he's going to even see more attention and more uh, of the defense's sort of resources, and if he can find ways just to make like rudimentary reads out of that. I'm not asking him to make LeBron-like skip passes, I'm not asking him to be Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes. But if he can just make rudimentary reads to keep the offense moving after he sees a ton of attention, that's going to go a long way to just kind of making him that much more difficult to guard. And so, I don't, again, I don't really know how you sort of work with a guy on playmaking. It feels a lot like defense sometimes where it's just sort of an innate thing where you have a knack for it or you don't. Some guys can improve at it. Of course, we've seen Pascal Siakam got way better at it over the course of the last few years. So maybe there's some hope there. He is only 22, 23 years old. He's still very young. Um, but that, I think, is going to be such a valuable thing that he needs to, to work on. This season, as a pick-and-roll ball handler, just 0.87 points per possession. And it was 22.6% of his possession. So they had him run quite a bit of pick-and-roll. Compare that to when he was a spot-up guy. 1.09 points per possession for the team. 73rd percentile, uh, 25 7% of his possessions. So still more of a spot up guy, but still a pretty heavy dose of those pick and roll ball handling possessions. We saw them run it a lot in the playoffs when Fred Van Vliet was out. Um, and, and, you know, I think there are some pockets there where it can work and there's some players with whom it can work in sort of two man games, but he's got to just figure out sort of to, a way to level up his playmaking from man, kind of meh to below average to like 
meh to slightly above average. Like, it doesn't have to be amazing. It just has to be passable, and I think that will go a long way for him. I also think another thing he can work on is a floater. Um, you know, he got a little bit in terms of uh, sort of the, the way to get that shot off from, like, 8 to 10 feet, something like that. Like, there's a... There's something there, I think, but it was not his bread and butter or anything like that. From 10 to 16 feet, for example, uh, like I said, he was 48%. He was amazing from that range. From floater range, 3 to 10 feet, 41.5%. So not awesome, not really a great shot for him there. At the rim, you know, he's kind of just below 60%. He's never going to be a great rim guy, I would assume, just because he doesn't blow by guys and get to the rim like crazy. He mostly scores at the rim in transition. Um, but if he can find floater range in any way, or just even just like a slight lob threat with a pressure at you or something like that to sort of open things up when he's in that 3 to 10 foot range, that would go a long way, I think, to making him, again, a little bit more of a of a dangerous guy to try to guard and game plan for. And again, it's not like all of these things that need to be worked on are going to be achieved. It, player development's hard. Not everybody gets it. And not everybody becomes the, a top 10 player in the NBA. Very few players do, in fact. And if Gary Trent Jr. had all of these elements, he would be one of the best players alive because of the shot making. But, um, you know, that, that if you are hoping to see growth from Gary Trent Jr., those are the kind of areas I think you really got to focus on. Um, you know, the playmaking the sort of making him more like maybe it's a controversial thing to say that I think he should be let loose more to be a crazy person on defense. But again, I just think that's where he's at. And then I think the, the floater range, if he can get that figured out, like that would go a long way to making him, you know, a two and a half level score. Like uh, not really a three level score because he's never going to be a great rim guy, I would assume. But the more you can kind of soften up the defense in the other levels, the more those rim shots might actually become a a, a thing that becomes a, a bit more of a part of his game. So Uh, that's where I'm at in terms of stuff to work on. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to get to the stat of the year, the play of the year, and we are going to take a look at the outlook for next season as well for Gary Trent Jr. He should be the sixth man, baby. We're going to get to that in one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at BetOnline. .net, who continue to be the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. Find all the latest odds, news, sports developments, and including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights even next year's NFL futures. Plus, you've got the ongoing NHL playoffs, which I'm having a ton of fun with. I'm not going to lie. I'm having a great time watching hockey this year, even if the Toronto Maple Leafs are driving me insane. And you can bet your ass I'll be doing the happiness hedge on Saturday ahead of Game 7 against Tampa because I don't want to be totally sad. And if the Raptor, or if the Leafs lose and I win some money because Tampa won, then that's, I guess, fine, even though it will suck. Uh, head to the website today. Use your mobile device. Learn more about the trends of the action. Bet online is where the game starts. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
All right, we continue on here with our uh, our Gary Trent Jr. player review here, and I've kind of already given away the stat of the year for Gary Trent Jr. I'm a fool. I, w- I went off my outline, but the stat of the year for me is that steal percentage to foul percentage because it's a really impressive thing that he was able to pull off. 89th percentile in terms of foul percentage. He's always been very good when it comes to not fouling, and... With this Raptors team, that's a huge asset, man. The Raptors foul a ton. Any way you can limit that and have a guy on the floor who you know is not going to go and pick up three fouls in the first quarter, that's a really useful thing. So again, his foul percentage of 2.3%, very, very low for a guy who hunts steals as often as him. Really fantastic. And then his steal percentage of 2.2%, 91st percentile. You know, I don't want to belabor the point. I said it in the last segment, but that to me is the stat of the year for Gary Trent Jr. All the offensive stuff we've talked about at length, you know, the on-off numbers and everything like that. But for me, the steal to foul ratio is uh, a really impressive thing. And again, I think kind of speaks to the idea that he should be unleashed more to be a bit of a steal hunting maniac next season. Let's move to the play of the year because that one I haven't covered just yet. Uh, And it's a a set of back-to-back plays that I think kind of encapsulate what Gary Trent Jr. meant to this team when it came to the crunch time situations that they were so good in, right? This Raptors team kicked ass in crunch time for the most part this season. And I think a big reason for that was any one of the guys on the floor at any given time was kind of a threat to hurt you. And Gary Trent Jr., because of the attention of Pascal Siakam that he was always getting, because Scotty Barnes demands so much of the defense's energy because he's just impossible, because Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi are such great shooters, like, there was a lot for Gary Trent Jr. late in games, and for me, I'm looking at the game against the Lakers in Toronto, the Scotty Barnes game, the 31-17-6 Scotty Barnes game. Um, look, the Raptors ended up losing that game, bit disappointing, they lost it because Barnes and Precious really kind of struggled and had some, you know, young person moments in that game, but I thought Gary Trent Jr. late in this one, he had two back-to-back threes that were so essential to getting it to overtime. Um, one, he screened for Scotty Barnes, ended up getting a pick-and-pop three on the right wing, knocked it down, and then the next time down, he had a nice little jab step, pull-up uh, pull up three, I think, over... Oh, God, what horrible Lakers player was it over? I, I don't know. It might have been Westbrook, might have been Malik Monk. Who knows? The Lakers are miserable. They're all just a blob. But either way, it was a really excellent... Uh, back-to-back set of examples of kind of the ways in which Gary Trent Jr. helped the Raptors offense. One, as an off-ball spacer guy who can really be an an outlet for Scotty Barnes, who saw a double team in that situation, because why wouldn't you double team Scotty Barnes in that situation, considering he had 31, 17, and 6 if you're the Lakers? Good coaching there, but of course Gary Trent Jr. is there to be the benefactor of that, and like, don't give him an open shot. He's probably going to hit it. The only thing he'll hit more often is a shot with a dude right in his face. Um, That that was going to be my stat of the year, by the way, I should say, I was bummed out because I thought early in the season, for sure, he had a higher percentage on closely contested shots than he did on wide open shots. By the end of the season, that changed. And so I'm sad I didn't get the right stat of the year. But for the long time, that was actually a thing where he was better when he had a dude right in his face because he's Gary freaking Trent Jr. Uh, and he's got the gunner's spirit, baby. Either way, he... You know, that was a great example of his off-ball sort of gravity and the way that he can be a great outlet. Whereas the, the next time down, it was like kind of a broken possession and he just went and jab-stepped the dude and stepped back for three. And like, that's pretty helpful as well. So that's my play of the year. It's a, it's a tandem play. 
Gary Trent Jr., a couple threes against the Lakers late in that game. Um, you know, he only had 23 points in that game, but he was really, really important late in that one for sure. And uh, it was nice to see him, you know, all season long kind of come up big in the clutch. Like there were lots of moments like that where the ball just happened to swing to him in a big moment and he was able to knock him down. So good for him. Uh, let's now get to the outlook for 2022-23 for Gary Trent Jr. And for me... It's considered like this the official beginning of the campaign, even though I talked about it on yesterday's podcast with Samson. I've talked about it before already. Gary Trent Jr. should be the sixth man for the Toronto Raptors next season. I'm slapping the table because I demand it. Gary Trent Jr., everything we've talked about, the gunner's spirit, the fact that every shot feels like it's going in even if it's not, the fact that he just has no conscience and is happy to finish off a play. You look at the Raptors bench this season, not a ton in terms of production. They were relying, of course, a lot on Fred Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam to run with the second units. And that's how most teams operate. When you have lots of good players, you stagger them and that's fine. But I think the combination of all of the things that make Gary Trent Jr. into the Gunners' delight, (laughs) all of that... When you combine that with the fact that the Raptors starting five with Gary Trent Jr. in there was not terribly effective, you know, only a plus 0.5 net rating over the course of the entire season and like 385 minutes or whatever it was, 350 minutes, I can't remember the exact number, but not a crazy sample. And I still think there's some more to be minded of that lineup, but it did speak to maybe just a little bit too much in terms of mouths to feed because Gary Trent Jr. likes to go and feed himself and take extra seconds and helpings and that's fine. Put him with the bench and let him roll. Let him go and be a guy who can come off the bench and score 20 for you. Let him go and try to win six man of the year. He is very much that type of player archetype to me. And it feels like he would really enjoy and relish that kind of thing. Obviously, moving a guy to the bench is, you know, always a difficult difficult thing, politically speaking, within the team. But for a guy who is going into a contract year, if you can just kind of just give him six man of the year buzz and let him just go out there and kind of fire away that could actually i think be a benefit to him you can still close games with him as well and i think you would because his shooting is so valuable i think you would definitely find ways to sneak him in there but man i i just i can't get over the idea of gary trench jr coming off the bench six minutes into the first you maybe take out scotty barnes and you take out precious achua or something like that and you know or maybe you rest yakum and fred or whatever it might be pick who you want to pair him with i don't really care but just bring him in. Maybe that Barnes, Scotty, uh, sorry, that Barnes and Trent combo is actually kind of the way to go here with the second unit next season. So you have some actual sort of stable ball handling, and then also Gary Trent Jr. going nuts. But I really want to see Gary just go an average twenty off the bench next season. And I think if you put him in a spot where he's coming off the bench, it means that you're relying on him a little bit less, right? It's not like so feast or famine, and you're not sort of sewered if he's not having a big game because this presumably assumes that. You know, Precious Achu has taken a leap and he is maybe ascended to being like the fifth best player on the team or whatever. And you're trusting him in the starting five. Scotty Barnes has taken a leap. You maybe hopefully get some shooting bounce back from Chris Boucher or whatever it might be. You're less reliant on Gary Trent Jr. to be the guy who spaces the floor for you. And he can just be the guy who always gets you buckets. And the nights where he's off, it's not going to kill you. The nights where he's on, it's probably going to win you the game when the guys who are your starters aren't even on the aren't even on the floor. And so, yeah, six man Gary, it should be a thing. I want to see it very, very badly. I feel like himself, like just thinking about the way Gary Trent Jr. conducts and operates and carries himself, he feels like a guy who would really, really embrace and kind of just embody the entire spirit of the six man, the Jordan Clarks and the Tyler Hero, the guys who, you know, come in and just light it up off the bench. That, to me, is Gary Trent Jr.'s destiny on this team. 
And I hope we see it at least for one season. He's got the opt-out at the end of next year. I don't really know how that's all going to go. I don't think he's getting traded this summer, for example, because I think he's too valuable right now to the offense. But um, I guess he is kind of the most likely to be moved just because he fits the archetype a little bit less than everybody else. And he's a very... You know, he has a lot of, you know, very valuable skills that you could probably get something back for. But he doesn't feel like the kind of guy you're making a roster balance trade with because he is part of the balance on the one side that is still kind of the lower side of the tilt um, or of the seesaw. And like you want to balance it out the other way, not get rid of more Gary Trent Juniors and create more imbalance. So uh, I think he's going to be around. And if he is, I think moving him to the bench, making pressures at two of the starting five, going big with the Fred uh og siakam barnes precious look next season a lineup that didn't mention this on yesterday's show when we were talking about precious but that lineup was hilarious it had a 100th percentile defense per cleaning the glass a second percentile offense per cleaning the glass it was a plus 6.8 in terms of net rating over the course of i think 90 possessions or something like that not a whole lot of time or minutes together but was really really effective it might have been 90 minutes uh either way but Really, really fun. Really, really cool. Uh, <laughs> super duper extreme, like the both sides of the moon in one one shot. But uh, you know, you move Gary Trent Jr. out of that lineup, and you take him to the bench. You let that big crazy lineup defend its ass off for a little while. Bring in Gary for some scoring punch. To me, that's the way to assemble the team next season and uh, sort of reorganize where guys are getting their bread buttered. I think that's kind of the biggest thing this offseason is figuring out the hierarchy of the team now that you've seen a year with the guys you have on board. And to me, Gary Tran Jr. will get the most out of what he does well if he's just coming in off the bench, closing games, kind of filling in like that sort of early James Harden type role. Not as good a player, obviously, as James Harden back then, but that kind of role uh, I think is uh, like he's essentially a starter, but he's coming off the bench because it just helps you win the course of the game a little bit more effectively, manage out your minutes, you know, manage your rotation, etc. So six man, Gary, make it happen, baby. Uh, all right. With that, to round out today's show, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, listening to me spew talk about uh, Gary Trent Jr. for 37 minutes or whatever it was. That's it for this week. Of course, we'll be back next week to continue player reviews. And I would hope that we're going to get the all-defense and all-NBA announcements next week as well. And with that, we will be able to finally do our over-unders recap for the season with Vivek and Sahal. That'll be fun. I think I'm going to get just completely roasted in that. But we'll get to that next week if uh, the all-defense and all-NBA come down. Because there are over-unders based on awards in that uh, over-under contest we did. So... It's incomplete at the moment, but we'll get that next week. I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again on Monday. In the meantime, go and listen to Locked on Leafs as Dave and Mike over there are breaking it all down. As the Leafs are doing it again, they're going to Game 7. It's a nightmare. I hate it, but go and check it out because they're great. It's a wonderful podcast, and they'll tee up Game 7 for you nice and good. They'll probably have some bonus stuff after Game 7, I would imagine, tomorrow, depending on the result. Maybe they won't want to do it if they lose. Either way, go do that. Then make that your second listen of the day. You can find me, of course, on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can subscribe, follow, rate, review on all the different podcast apps and on YouTube. We will talk to you again on Monday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. 
Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.